Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you are joining us once again as we are in this wild series out of the book of Revelation. Whether you're at one of our permanent physical sites, you're watching on our online site, you're listening to a podcast months, years, days later, or it's on demand, wherever you are in the world, you're most welcome. Now, now, today we arrive at a part of the book called Revelation that begins to scare people, confuse people. This is sort of what many would call the wild, weird, unaccessible parts that we're not sure what to do with. But once we understand these images, it will help us process faith, process evil, overcome fear that things are actually spinning out of control because as we're going to see today, they're not. Now last week, we were moved from the chaos down here and we were able to look up and see reality as it truly will be. Through John's vision, we all got to walk into the place that has the final say. In chapter four, Pastor Sam preached on this. We got our first glimpse of God, angels, beauty, holiness, hope, the heavens. One of the most vivid parts is in Revelation 4.4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, this means so much biblically but to the first here meant so much culturally. First, biblically, 24 is the symbol of the people of God. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all saved by the finishing work of Jesus in the end. And what we see here in the heaven perspective is God's people surround the throne, have access to the throne, don't fear the throne, have relationship with the one sitting on the throne and get to worship God. But there's more. As one person wrote, in the Roman worldview, people would think of the bodyguards that were surrounding the emperor. The emperor at this time had 24 bodyguards. Kings had 12, proconsuls had 12, but the emperor was the one that had 24. Furthermore, when the emperor presented at games, he would be flanked by priests wearing, ready everyone? Golden crowns. So here's the point that God is saying to John and John is saying to those original churches and us. Whose kingship Whose power, whose court, whose rule has the final say? The courts down here, like the emperor or Caesar, or the courts upstairs, the eternal court? And again, just remember this. The original audience were persecuted Christians. And what they're learning is the upstairs court, God's court, wins, has the final say. Now, there's more here. It's like chapter 4 is like the Old Testament, and then chapter 5 is like the New Testament view. In chapter 5, Jesus' role came into view. And if you were with us, you remember these words in Revelation 5.1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Remember, seven in the Bible means perfection. Well, what's the scroll? The scroll is God's work and rule in the world. This is the final word of God. This is the plan of God to deal with history, the scroll that ad uh, addresses destiny, addresses everything. But the seal is unaccessible. It's shut. It's closed to everyone. The deep questions of life, meaning, ending, will there be justice? Will there be reconciliation? Will salvation, is there actually an end coming? It's all contained in this closed scroll. And then we read in Revelation 5, 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. 
And then John says, personally, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside. I love when this one scholar, this pastor named Tim Chester, I think he's from England, he summarizes what so many of us feel and we can't even articulate. He wrote this, who can help? Who knows the heart of God? Who can stop the endless cycle of sin, of suffering or injustice? We keep trying and trying and failing and failing time and time again. Both political power and political activism offer the seductive belief that we can take responsibility for history and steer it towards justice and peace. Something must be done, all of us cry. Yet when we do intervene, our actions are unpredictable. In situations of conflict, we call for peacekeeping troops or sanctions, but countless examples from Somalia to Iraq demonstrate the interventions can so easily exacerbate problems. The seductive idea, he writes, that we as humans can resolve history has now been heightened by globalization and our access to technology. See, we feel connected and we feel informed, but who can stand at the edge of the world, survey everything, and then sum it up. Who has the eyes to see? And we're bewildered by the complexity of the world, but there is one who sees everything. Heaven is the vantage point from which you can possibly see all things. So as Pastor Sam preached last week, the answer came that Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is in control and God the Father has given him all all authority. And here's the point. So with heaven clear, and Jesus being clear, and with God in his fullness by chapter five being clear, and real authority being clear, and who's in charge now being clear, and with God at the beginning and the end now clear, then and only then does God invite John and us to walk back downstairs, back to those seven churches trying to be faithful while they're being attacked, and begin to clarify down here. And what might shock a lot of us, especially some of us who have church history, is heaven is teaching us it's already begun. Revelation 6.1, I watched the lamb open the first of the seven seals. Okay, this is so important. Jesus is in control of history. And what does all the breaking of these seals mean? Those seals are like uh, wax, right? And a king would put a signet ring in it and, it, and now these are being broken. Some say, well, everything we're about to read is still not happen. It's gonna happen in the future. No, everything that I'm about to read to you has happened is happening right now in 2021 and is gonna happen in the future. Remember, as we learned in week one, we have been in the end times for 2000 years since the birth of Jesus. So these chapters are the description of what life is like between the first and second comings of Jesus. We are gonna read our experience in these, but at the same time, there's a future flavor. The terrible things that I'm about to go through that are a little freaky, are increasing in power and strength as we draw near to the end, but they've already begun. And how do we know this? Well, here's what we all gotta catch. Jesus in Matthew 24 talked about the end. It's his own personal teaching and reads all sorts of different people. You gotta read Matthew 24 and Revelation six and seven together side by side because they literally follow the same story. So I hope you're ready. Welcome to the conversation about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then I heard, verse one, one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow. He was given a crown and he rode out to conquer and he was bent on conquest. 
What in the world is that? Well, you know what? This is a symbol for the demonic. Jesus in the book of Revelation comes later on a white horse, but this is not him. This is the false version. This is the kingdom of darkness. This is the demonic disguising themselves as angels of light. This is deception through worldview, false religions, false spirituality, deception through unholy power. And it should not shock us that when you open Matthew 24, the very first thing that Jesus says about the beginning of the end is this in verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. The demonic at this moment right now are conquering the world through deception. Oh, but did you see it? God's still in control. They get the crown from him. They don't have the final say. The Lamb of God has the final say. Verse three, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. War, murder, conflict. Red, the sign of blood. Think about it, in the last 2,000 years, Think about the amount of death and murder and war there's been. You know, in the year 1900, they proclaimed it the great turning point, the year of peace, and they said it would be the century of peace, but actually it became the worst century of conflict. That's when the First World War took place. Oh, and then the Second World War, and then the Cold War, the Vietnam War, and the Korean War, and just keep filling in all the wars. That's the first century that we saw chemical warfare used en masse. It's the first century that atomic bombs were used. It's the first century that global terrorism truly became a thing. You might be surprised, but do you know how many people died directly caused a war just in the 20th century? A hundred million people were killed because of war. Between 1975, the year I was born, and the year 2000, six million people, just in those 25 years, were killed due, due to war, and 1.5 million of them were children. Over 800,000 people have died, directly connected to violence in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Pakistan. And this doesn't even include the Holocaust. This doesn't even include the Armenian genocide, and just keep going. Follow the pattern. I mean, Jesus, the very next thing he says in Matthew 24, 6 is, you'll hear of wars and rumor of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Well, then we get to the third seal. Verse five, when the lamb opened the, lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. You're like, what does that mean? This is famine. And by the way, famine and hunger is everywhere. From 1860 to 2016, 128 million people died in famines. I want you just to comprehend that. And that's just that small 100-year run, or a little less, or a little more. Think about the last 2,000 years. But Jesus said it would be like this. I mean, Matthew 24, 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are all the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, birth pains. Since the time of Jesus, the birth pains have been growing. It's like God saying, look around everyone. 
This ain't Braxton Hicks. This ain't false labor. The birth pains are happening. They're getting more and more tense. Soon it's time to go and have the baby. See, this is the best way to think about the whole book or letter of Revelation. It was started at the birth of Jesus, and like growing birth pains, these things are getting stronger and stronger, but they are the signal that the good thing is coming, but the pain is in the middle. Well, it says in verse 7, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague and by wild beast of the earth. Let me just say this again. Look around, everyone. It has happened. It is happening. It will happen. The mass death of species. You know, last week I heard they're talking about giraffes actually going extinct within my lifetime. We're talking about a global crisis, climate change, collapse, earthquakes all over the place, injustice, cancer, COVID, AIDS, war, nuclear weapons, murder, the killing of millions and millions of children in the womb. Like, it's everywhere. Suffering, pride, hate, racism, nationalism, militarism. It goes on and on, and it all leads to mass death. Do you know that 9 million people a year die globally just due to hunger? Here's the logic. As a friend of mine wrote, seal one says, if you don't go the way of Jesus, the lamb, there'll be greater, greater conflict and a drive to conquer. Seal two says, if you don't go the way of the lamb, there'll be greater and greater violence. Seal three says, if you don't go the way of Jesus, the lamb, there'll be greater and greater injustice and hunger. And the fourth seal says, if you don't go the way of Jesus, there will be greater and greater sickness and death. Wow. Well, we come to the next seal, and then things change. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out to God in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, brothers and sisters, Christians, were killed just as they had been. For 2,000 years, there's been a clash of kingdoms, the kingdom of the Lamb and the kingdom of darkness that rule through all sorts of leaders and systems. Communism, dictatorship, capitalism, fascism, the grand religions of our day, spirituality, drug cartels, some feel worse than others, but they're all influenced. And the cost of this clash is the persecution of God's people. In John's day, 40,000 Christians by this moment had been murdered by the Roman authorities. But actually here in 2021, you might not know this, we are living during one of the most significant, actually the worst moments of persecution of Christians in 2,000 years. I've said this before, let me say it again. I get frustrated that many Christians on social media keep saying we don't experience persecution in Canada or the West, and we all just need to stop whining. They say you need to look to the global church. They're really suffering. Well, they're right and they're wrong. It's true. This should sober us today. One out of eight Christians at this moment, as I'm speaking to you, is under direct dangerous persecution right now. 260 million Christians are jailed, raped, churches are burnt down, not allowed to convert, governments changing the Bible to be more in line with government or worldview. The list goes on and on. During the pandemic at its height in 2020, 9,488 churches and Christian buildings were burned or attacked. And here's the number you should really think about. 
2,983 Christians were murdered for just being Christians. And so that means right now, those people are before the Lamb of God at this moment in heaven saying, how long before you avenge our blood, Lord? I love what Open Doors did when they, in my opinion, gave the best definition of persecution. Persecution is any hostility experienced as a result of your identification with Jesus. That can include hostile attitudes, words, and actions towards the Christian. So when you declare Jesus is the only way in a pluralistic world, when you say God is creator and has a final way, say on sexuality, when you choose not to lie or cheat, but your boss says you need to do it to keep your job, but you want to obey God, when you actually have lack of access to a job because of faith, that is persecution on a small scale. Uh, this does not apply to your political views. <laughs> this does not apply to what you say online about uh, vaccinations in any direction. This is not about you being a jerk sometimes, and this definitely doesn't apply if you cheat on your taxes or get a ticket for speeding. But when you declare there's a heaven and a hell, or you gently declare with certainty and consistency that sincerity does not bring salvation, or when you stand up for the life of the unborn child and the life of the elderly, when you say medically assisted suicide actually is murder, and at the same time stand up for widow and orphan and immigrants in Jesus' name, and you're rejected by all sorts of people, yeah, that's persecution. Again, let me say this loud and clear. As orthodox, confessional, historic, biblically informed Christians, we will and you should expect to be attacked by both the political right and the left because we don't belong to either of them. We belong to another kingdom. So we're pro-life and pro-immigrant in Jesus' name. We boldly declare Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to heaven. And yet in a civic sense, we declare and we fight for the right for people to say anything they want. We actually follow God and ask for us to, God asks us to maintain a holy sexual worldview, but, but we also resist violence in any form against anyone of any sexual orientation because that's also wrong. Most of us won't be beaten. I don't think most of our churches will be burned, but there is a moment taking place, even in the Canadian uh, context, where our culture has moved from apathy to hostility towards Scripture, towards Jesus, and the claims of our faith. We need to think about persecution in a sliding scale, not nothing or torture and death. But what this passage is saying is those who have already suffered before us and have already died, are now in God's presence as I'm preaching, saying, you have got to bring justice on the earth. You actually have to ask Jesus to come back, Father, and end this. That's exactly what Jesus says next in Matthew 24, 9. He says, oh, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. But then he says this in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, though, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I hope you just caught that. Another sign of the full end coming is the good news must go out to every single nation. That doesn't mean country, that means ethnic group. Here's the point. It doesn't mean there's gonna be a global mass conversion, though that would be awesome. The point is God is slowly building out his family. And then the end comes when the gospel is in every single ethnic group. The good news spreads and as it spreads, there's mass resistance. Well, then we come to the sixth seal, which is not yet broken today. This is in the future. We are in growing experience already in the first five, but this one's near the end. This is the end. This is when Jesus returns and he judges and all will give an account. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal 
And there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned to black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned to blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree that was shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everybody, both slave and free, hid in caves. All together, notice that. doesn't matter what you got, what you own, how much influence you have. They hid among the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they called out to the mountains and they called out to the rocks, fall on us, kill us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come and who can withstand it? This is the judgment of all humans. That day is outlined in detail later in Revelation 20. But, but I love what this resolves. Hey, listen, this is really important if you're a seeker and you're struggling with the goodness of God or you grew up in the church for a while. It has always bothered me when I hear people say, well, you know, God in the Old Testament is mean and grumpy and angry and Jesus in the New Testament is so loving and awesome. No. Jesus is God, and he gave mercy for a time. But just like in the time of Noah, and just like in the time of Sodom, in the end, Jesus will come, and judgment will be given by Jesus. Did you notice it? Wrath of him who is God, and and wrath of the Lamb. The Father is not the angry judge, and Jesus is the loving one. God in himself is holy love. There's a time coming where all will give an account. Well, in chapter 7, after those, all those amazing breaking of seals, John then points to the church, to God's people living between those two times since Jesus' birth. So this is for us still today. Revelation 7, 1, And after I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree, and I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal, this is so great, of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm land and sea. Do not harm the land or sea or trees until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. See, this is saying that by the end, all of God's people, not some, all will have the seal of God. Now, in the ultimate sense, darkness and death don't have a say, this is what this is metaphorically saying, over lamb followers. This is like, as one friend put it, this is like the, the movie freezes in mid-scene, and we get to, with John, see what God is doing, has done, and what will fully do for all his people between the first and second comings of Jesus. So in the middle of the four horsemen, in the middle of slaughter, in the middle of chaos and famine and nation against nation, he is what? Sealing his children. And what is the seal of the lamb? What is the seal placed on Christians between the first and second coming of Jesus? Oh, simple. It's not a mark on your forehead. It's not a barcode. It's the Holy Spirit, everyone. That's the point. 2 Corinthians 1.22. God set a seal of approval on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1.13. When you believed, if you're a Christian, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit which every single Christian gets when they say yes to Jesus, 
is the seal, is the mark of the Lamb. If you are a Christian today, you have the mark of the Lamb right now. Now, this next verse is where a lot of people go off the deep end. Then I heard a number of those who were being sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. This is an image of God's people. It's not a literal 144,000 people. It's 12 times 12. It's a Jewish way of saying perfect, complete, whole, finished. In other words, this is a metaphor for the church. And the church, in all of its diversity, is the spiritual Israel. I mean, Jesus' half-brother James used all of the Hebraic understanding to apply it to the church. James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. He's writing to the church. So here's the point. He's saying that the completeness of God's family, the church, is sealed by God's Spirit. And what does the completeness look like at the end of the time? In other words, when the church is fully formed and everyone's been sealed and it's perfect, what is it going to look like in the new heavens and the new earth? And then we see this in Revelation 7 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were all wearing white robes, not just the martyrs now, all of us and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise, and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength to, to, uh, to be to our God forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. So in the new heavens and the new earth, People from every background, every skin color, every ethnic group, all countries are now worshiping Jesus and God through the Spirit at the throne. Now notice, this is important. I've preached this before. God doesn't dismiss our differences in eternity. He redeems us and keeps our diversity. The diversity doesn't disappear in the new heavens or the new earth, but our unity is beyond us. See, it's Jesus that's our unity. His work, that's our unity. His forgiveness, that's our unity. His love, that's our unity. God's calling, that's our unity. The Holy Spirit's sealing, that's our unity. So do you see it? We tried doing this once before as humans. It was called Babel. And actually, we tried doing it without God and we failed. So this is the recovery of Eden when we get to walk with God, no conflict, walk with each other without shame, no conflict, and actually be in nature without conflict. This is also the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed. Now, what I'm going to say next, if you grew up in church, might throw you a little bit, but it should bring you peace and clarity. Everyone lean in. Then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, ready? They are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, who sits on the throne and will shelter them with his presence. I love this. Never again are they going to hunger. Never again will they be thirsty. The sun will never beat down on them. There'll be no scorching heat. The Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, wow. Here's the point. 
Every Christian, because remember, this is the picture of the end of the end of the end, has a right white robe. But what does this mean then? This means that every Christian has lived in the tribulation. See, so many of you that grew up in church were taught that the tribulation is like this seven and a half year period and the Antichrist is going to show up and we get raptured out and we avoid all the pain. Oh, no, 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 no. Every Christian who has a white robe, because this is the picture of the church, lives through the tribulation. So there's no escapism. There's no we get out during all the bad times. Those who came out of the tribulation, not those who will come out someday. In Greek, this literally reads, this was happening when John was getting this. So here's the moment. Catch it, everyone. Every Christian that has ever lived and is living and will live has been in the tribulation. That is the end times. That is the time of the four horsemen. That is the time between Jesus' first and second coming, which is the same time where grace is being given to the world, which is the same time where persecution is happening. But during this time, God is bringing the good news of Jesus to the world, rooted in the Jewish faith and expressed through Jesus himself. We're in the small t tribulation today, right now. Will it get worse? Yeah, I think the Bible says it will. Will the influence of the horsemen grow? Yes. But it's your story today. So let me just say this. <laughs> so whether we like it or not, the letter of Revelation says we are totally secure, but as we live between the first and second coming of Jesus, safety is not guaranteed to you. Your ceiling cannot be removed. So put it like this. Never, never confuse security, safety, and ceiling. You could say that the tribulation started like a small T and is growing and will actually sort of end like a capital T. But the point is, this ain't some future thing. It's a now thing. Okay, what do we do with all of this? Well, number one, if you're a Christian, in the sound of my voice, this should give you pause and actually some hope. Number one, it should now clarify all the chaos we see around us. The sound of the horsemen, the, 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 the beating of those hooves are all around us. The demonic, conquering, deception, war, murder, famine, disease, plague, bad water, death. But what we need to remember is they don't have the final word. The world is not spinning out of control. All of these things are the birth pains before the new life comes. Who's breaking the seals? Jesus is breaking the seals. Who's in control? Jesus is in control. In other words, this is an invitation for you, no matter who you are, to say, I choose to trust that Jesus is in control and I know he will bring all things right in the end. And in the end, he will remove the power of our own sin and the horsemen forever and ever. You've got to have your eye on the one who's sitting on the throne or you'll believe the ones on the horses are stronger than the one who's on the throne. Number two, a lot of people haven't caught this. If you're a Christian, you get to, we get to participate in helping the end come. I want to say this, I've said it so many times before. We live, on the most, live in the most multicultural city on earth here in Toronto. And that is why evangelism is so important. Not only does proclaiming the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the only way back to God bring eternal life, but it's actually something that brings the end of time, the return of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
That is why Alpha, so key. That is why us sharing the good news of Jesus with others is so important. And we get to do this. God has sovereignly positioned us in a city where 300 heart languages are spoken. We are in one of the top global hubs in the world where all the ethno groups, the nations gather. You sending that one invite to Alpha through a DM or on Instagram or, or on Facebook, you sharing the good news of Jesus with a friend of yours or a coworker has eternal implications. It actually affects the return of Jesus. This is an incredible motivation because when that happens, all things are made right. Lastly, because again, we're only beginning the series in some ways. I know so many of you hang out with us online and in person. And again, seeker, skeptic, atheist, agnostic, spiritual, Christian-ish, maybe another faith. I just, I got to say this to you because this is what the scriptures teach. We're living in this incredibly difficult time, but it's a beautiful time. The silver lining is huge. This is a time of grace. Jesus in this time period of history is offering salvation, forgiveness, hope, restoration, connection, but the period will run out. We have already been told at the very end what the human race will say when it all ends. Fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? Like I said in week one, Jesus, who is the second person in the Trinity, God himself, offers you physical resurrection As he physically came back from the dead, if you trust in him, you will physically come back from the dead. It's not just some pipe dream. It's real. He offers you forgiveness of everything you've done. He gives you freedom from the fear of death. And then he actually frees you from actual death. He has the power over sin. And he has already broken the back of the demonic. See, on Judgment Day, on that day of the Lamb, either Jesus will be your Savior and your Lord and your friend and your brother, Or you will face God and you will have to stand in the gap for yourself without his blood, without his access, without his mercy, without his peace, and without his covering. For Christians, this is going to be a homecoming. But those without Christ, this is called the great day of wrath. So as God is speaking, I'm not God, I just work for the guy. But as God is speaking, don't harden your heart at this moment. Because this is actually the time where salvation can be accessed, given, freely given. And God doesn't, I was listening to this in my devotions this morning out of Ezekiel 18. God does not have joy at the death of anyone who's wicked. He wants everyone to come home. This is such an important, important part of the Bible. We're not spinning out of control. The bad things we're seeing are actually the signs the good thing is coming. We get to actually help the end and we're still offered forgiveness. So, simple prayer. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, continue to lead us into all truth. I pray that you would literally give people new glasses in our church and those in other churches to truly begin to see all the famine and death and racism and war and all the things that are wrong in this world actually as the birth pains for the baby that's coming that actually makes all things right. Like, thank you that this isn't it. So inspire, give supernatural hope in our church right now. Number two, would you motivate us to share the good news of Jesus with people all around us from all sorts of backgrounds because that ushers in the end 
And we want the end because actually the end is where you restore heaven and earth. Pollution gone, war gone, racism gone, drugs gone, all of it gone, just gone. And things are made right. Give us opportunity this week to share the good news with somebody. And lastly, I just again ask, because you're merciful, that Holy Spirit, you would be sent to people who don't know Jesus yet and actually open their eyes to see the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that is offered now, but also show them the end without it. And again, if you're that person, even now, you can literally cry to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want to face you without covering. I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. Make me clean. I want that day to be homecoming, not wrath. God, continue to lead us in this part of your word. Help us to be encouraged and inspired to be faithful and true in these difficult times. We pray this in Jesus' name who runs history and actually gave the church this letter. Amen. Amen.